0: Good morning, church family. Glad you could join us this morning. Uh, And this is a great morning to gather together around the Word. It it happens to be Pastor Appreciation Week. This is Pastor Appreciation Sunday morning. And so I get the joy and the privilege of... uh, And I get emotional about it because I love my pastor and I love my pastors and I love pastors in general, and I love the church. And so I get emotional about this, but I get to join the privilege of, of preaching and encouraging about and directly to our pastors and encouraging us as, as the flock and how we need to be responding to our pastors. So I'm so looking forward to being able to... Uh, Dive into the Word of God with you, and and I appreciate you joining with us. And uh, before we dive into the Word, let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to study a Word, your Word that uh, breathes life into us, your Word that equips us, your Word that that uh, corrects us when we need it and rebukes us when we need it, and and and. Um, and transforms our lives, Lord, and, and and I pray, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that we would hear your voice, and that your word would wash us, Lord, and, and cleanse us, and purify us, and, and again, uh, renew our minds so that we can know you better, and see you more clearly, and walk closer with Jesus, and please him in every way, and Lord, so that we can Really, truly continue to grow into being the pure and spotless bride that you want us to be. So, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, we pray for grace and wisdom to understand and receive. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to uh, use as our main text 1 Peter chapter 5, the entire chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5. So, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read the entire chapter. And then we're going to do some, uh, some, just some exegetical studies of that chapter, and then we're going to pull in some other passages from Scripture, and we're going to, we're going to define what makes a pastor. And, and we're going to go from there into just defining what our responsibilities are for our pastors and towards our pastors. Okay, so join me as we read together uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm reading from the NASB. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising authority, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording in over those allotted to your charge, but... Proving to be examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a holy kiss, with the kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Okay, that's the entire chapter. I believe that it's primarily focused and directed to the elders of the church who he's identifying as pastors or shepherds. So when we look at this passage, uh, I want you to see several things. First off, that it is, of course, addressed to the elders of the church the second thing i want to look at real quickly here is that in this passage there are eight imperatives there are eight commands and these commands are directed primarily to the pastors of the church there are eight commands so uh we're going to look at those and then there's a series of three do nots don't do this we're going to look at those and then there's a series of four do. This is what pastors are to do. So we're going to look at those things and then we're going to pull in about four other passages and we're going to create some pastor lists. Some lists that show the requirements of being a pastor, the responsibilities of being a pastor, the things that might bring ruin on a pastor, and the things that pastors can rejoice in. So that's where we're heading. Let's look first here. The eight imperatives in 1 Peter chapter 5. Number one is in verse 2. It's the word shepherd. This is an imperative. This is a command to the elders of that church. Shepherd the flock of God among you. That's the first command. Second command is in verse 5. Clothe yourselves with humility. Okay, elders of the church, you pastors of the church, number one, shepherd the flock. Number two, clothe yourselves with humility. Then the third command is in verse six, and it's again using the same word, but it has a different inflection, but it's be humble. And we'll talk about that inflection in just a minute. Be humble or humble yourselves, that's in verse six. In verse eight, we have two commands, be sober and be on the alert. So we have those two commands in verse 8 and verse 9. We have another command for the shepherds, for the elders. Resist him, the him being the devil. And then we have two more commands. Verse 12, stand firm. And it means stand firm in the grace of God. And then finally, verse 14, greet one another with that kiss of love. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Greet each other with a the kiss of love. Uh, so let's just... Let's just run through that again real quickly. Shepherd the flock, pastor the flock, oversee the flock. Take care of the flock of God that is placed under your authority. Clothe yourselves with humi- humility. That means you yourself put on humbleness. And the reason I'm saying it that way is because the next verse, verse 6, where it says humble yourselves, is really in the passive tense, and it means let humility, let humbleness happen to you. So we are to actively clothe ourselves with humility, but we are also passively to allow humility, to allow humbleness to roll over us and to overtake our lives. And the way that we do that, the way that we allow humility to to come upon us, it says it right there in verse 6, put yourself under the mighty hand of God. If we submit to the mighty hand of God, humility will begin to happen. It will happen to us. Then it says, be sober and on the alert, which means just wake up and don't let anything else distract you. Don't be distracted by all the things that the uh, the, the siren song of the world, be sober-minded. Just don't get all silly. Be alert. Because, because the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion and he's seeking to devour. And then the next command, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. And finally, again, stand firm, verse 12, and greet one another with a kiss. So those are the commands to the shepherds of the flock, to our pastors. Those are the eight commands that are found in this passage. Now, let's look at the do nots. These are the things that pastors are not to do in, in this chapter. This is These are all found, well, two of them are in verse uh, 2 and the other one's in verse 3. Pastoring a church or shepherding the flock of God should never be done under compulsion. It should never be forced upon the pastor. Not under compulsion. Not forced to do it. Not made to do it. Not... Oh, I, I, I don't want to do this at all. I, I got to do something else. No, not forced, okay? Not under compulsion. Number two, not for sordid gain. Not for, um, honestly, what that means literally is not for shameful advantage. And I don't know, if you roll through your mind, uh, you might have run across preachers and you're like, wow, is this all about money? Is this all about fame? Is this all about being the guy? Don't be pastoring for the sake of taking shameful advantage of people or for the sake of money, for the sake of pride, for the sake of acclaim. That's what pastors are not to do. And finally, not lording it over. Not, and, and literally what that means, not trying to bend other people to your will. Okay, pastors, this is what we are not to do if we're pastors. Not under compulsion, not trying to make get shameful advantage somehow some way with our persuasive powers, and not trying to bend other people to our will. When you see that, if you see those things, be warned, stay away. And thank thank the Lord. Uh crowd Christian fellowship, we do not have that situation. And I'm so happy about that, and and of course, we all know that. Now, we have four things in this passage that it talks about uh, pastors should be doing. Number one, pastors, even though you're not trying to bend people to your will, it does say, and this is in verse 2, exercise oversight or exercise authority. Even though you're not trying to bend people to your will— you have the authority of Christ, and you are to exercise that authority. And we are to lead people to Christ and try to help them conform to Christ and equip them in the Word and challenge and reprove and rebuke and correct and guide, exercising authority. We are to do it as pastors voluntarily. We are to do it, it says, with eagerness, and we are to do it as examples To the flock. Okay, so you got that? Four things that pastors are to do exercise authority, be voluntarily doing it, doing it eagerly, and doing it being examples to the flock. Now, we're going to pull in some other passages because I want to make some lists, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3 is a list of requirements for pastors, for elders. And we're going to read through it real quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And overseer then must be, here you go, here's the list, above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, but he should be gentle, peaceable. Free from the love of money, he must be one who manages his own household well. His children are under control with all dignity. And verse 6, he must not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have, verse 7, a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach. That's First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The next passage is in Titus chapter 1. So let's turn there right after 2 Timothy, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Titus 1, 5 through 9. For this reason I left you, Titus, Paul's talking to Titus, in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders, shepherds, in every city as I directed you. And then here he goes with his list. If any man is above reproach, husband of one wife, Having children who believe, not accused of dissipation, not rebellious, um, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. We saw that in 1 Peter, didn't we? Hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast, fast to the word in accordance with the teaching, exhorting with sound doctrine and refuting those who contradict. It's quite a list, isn't it? There's a couple other passages we won't turn there. Acts chapter 20 28 to 35 is a, is another passage that where Paul is addressing the elders of the church at Ephesus and the surrounding community because he's getting ready to say farewell and he's never going to see them again. So in that passage Acts chapter 20 28 to 35 write that down. You can go check that later. There's a number of things there also that Paul talks about when he talks about the, the responsibilities and the, uh, the requirements of elders and also things to look out for. But one of the things I want to pull out of that is Paul says in that passage that watch out because even amongst your own ranks, wolves will arise and will try to devour the flock. So this is really an important thing for elders, for pastors to be on guard for. It's the predators that are out there, or even arising in, in the middle of the church to try to devour the flock, okay? And then the other passage is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, where it talks about pastors again, and it gives these qual- these, uh, uh, these things that a pastor must do. Uh, equipping, and really the primary thing there I want to take out of that is, pastors need to be equipping the saints for works of service that's that's the job of the pastor he gives us the word and the word is supposed to be working in our hearts and through the word and the examples that he himself uh leads us with and mentoring those who want to put themselves under his authority in that way equipping us for the work of the ministry you think he's supposed to do all the work you think pastor arnold pastor joy are supposed to do everything no their job really is to equip equip us to do the works of the ministry, okay? So let's just, I want to list these requirements that we just read through, okay? Because you're going to, it's going to blow you away. There's 24 requirements. I'm going to go through them real fast. I just want to do this because I want you to be aware of the weight that the shoulders of our pastors carry. Here you go. Ready? 24, right here. Above reproach, one wife. And I just want to clarify that. That means a one-woman kind of a man, not a wandering eye. Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, gentle, peaceable, not a lover of money, managing his home well, not a new convert, having a good reputation outside, not quick-tempered, Not accused of dissipation, not accused of rebellion, a lover of good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, and holding fast the word. These are the requirements of a pastor. Can you imagine? I mean, roll through your own life. Do a quick inventory of your life. That's a high and holy calling. That's a heavy burden to bear. But we're not done. Let's look at the responsibilities that have been laid out in these several passages. The responsibilities of a shepherd. We have eight. And there's more. These are minimum requirements. Those 24 I just read, those are minimum requirements. Let's look at these eight responsibilities. Again, the, these are eight, minimum of eight requirements. There's more if we just really culled all through all the scripture. But number one, be a shepherd. Shepherd the flock. Number two, exercise oversight, and we've talked about some of these. Number three, be examples. Number four, equip. We already spent time talking about that. Number five, guard against predators. We talked about that. Predators are all around us. I mean, just turn on the TV or the radio or YouTube or whatever. Uh, The money grabbers, the false doctrine that just uh, is abundant everywhere you turn, uh, those who are seeking fame and fortune rather than wanting Christ glorified and the Father lifted up and, and exalted and, and, and just humbly doing the work of a servant. We see that all around us, guarding against predators. And number six, helping the weak. And then number seven and eight, being about the ministry of the word. And finally, number eight, prayer pastors' lives need to be diving deeper and deeper into the Word so that they can minister the Word to us. And also, pastors' lives need to be bathed in prayer. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the church was really growing. It was expanding exponentially. They couldn't handle it. They were all in Jerusalem gathered there. They were the 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 12 uh, apostles were there and remember that's where they're they're all meeting together they have everything in common and they're eating their common meals together and some feel like they're getting slighted hey you know the greek widows didn't get as much as the jewish widows what's going on here and and so uh dissension was coming and and it was drama and so the apostles go okay we gotta we gotta fix this so they appointed seven deacons if you recall one of those happened to be Uh, a Stephen, remember, who was the first martyr of the church, and they did this, and it says this in chapter 6, verse 4, the apostle says, let's do this so that we can focus on the most important things that we, as apostles, as the shepherds of this church, need to focus on. You know what the two were? Prayer and the ministry of the word. That's the primary focus of the shepherd, to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. And the church thrives when our pastors are able to do that. Now, what 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 do pastors need to be on guard against? I mean, there's a lot of things that can trip all of us up. There's a lot of things that we need. I mean, we definitely need to be on guard, right? We know that. There are some things that pastors need to be on guard against, and part of this comes out of those lists that we just read. Uh, but I just want to say it this way so that we understand what's at stake. Number one number one is pride. We all need to be on guard against pride, not puffed up. Pride is number one sin. Pride is the original sin. Pride is the sin that felled Satan from his position as the guardian cherub of the glory of God. Pride is the sin that felled Adam and Eve in the garden. Pride is the sin that is woven into all of us, into our DNA as as fallen men and pride is a thing that as believers as followers of christ we need to be rid of we need to understand that outside of christ we are nothing in him in him we can do all things through him who strengthens us and pastors more as much as anyone need to be aware of that you know whether the sermon is awesome and everybody comes up and just say that was great or it flops Who knows? But all the glory goes to God. All that happens comes from him and goes through him and is for him and to him. And pastors, we know, and we all need to be aware of that. Pride is the number one thing that can ruin pastors. Number two, lack of self-control. And these are things that we've read in these lists. Number three, a hot temper. Yikes. You don't want your pastor to have a hot temper. No. Number four, irresponsible. This is really easy. We can see all that. Number five, a wandering eye. Yikes again. I know. Number six, greed. And most importantly, number seven and eight, what will ruin a pastor is prayerlessness and neglect of the Word of God. Okay. Now, having said all of that, the requirements, the responsibilities, and the ruin, of potential ruin of pastors. What rejoices a pastor's heart? What what brings rejoicing out in a pastor? And there's four things that I, I want to uh, look at real quickly. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verses 28, I think, and 29. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. I want to just look here real quickly. We're going to read these two verses. Paul has been talking about his qualifications as an apostle, and prior to what we're going to read, he talks about, dude, three times, verse 25, I was beaten with rods once I was stoned. (laughs) Yes, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I spent in the deep. In frequent journeys and dangers from rivers dangers from robbers dangers from my countrymen dangers from the gentiles dangers in the city dangers in the wilderness danger in the sea danger among false brethren i've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure yes these are all things that have been happening to me in the ministry that god has called me to to be planting churches to be raising up churches, to be mentoring men, to be pastors of churches. These are all the things I'm going through. And then he goes on in verse 28, but apart from all of that, apart from all of those external things, this really, this is really what presses in on me. The daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And then read what he says next. Who is weak? without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So I'm going to add something else to really the requirements of pastors because what this tells me is that it's a 24-7 job. It's never off. 24-7. You have to have your phone with you all the time. Somebody's in the hospital. Somebody ran off. Can you go find so, so-and-so? I think they're at the bar. Um, he just left. I don't know where he is. Or, or somebody's ready to pass on to glory. I mean, all of these things. Or uh, can, can you talk to my son? He's, he's really struggling with. Or talk, talk to my daughter. Or I mean, the daily moment by moment, 24-7 care of all the needs of all the flock of the church. Paul identifies it right here. It's a weight that is heavy, and it bears down on every pastor. And there's only one way that they can bear up under it. There's only one way, and that's through Christ's strength, who strengthens us. So a healthy flock, though, a healthy flock— is a flock that rejoices a pastor's heart. A healthy flock rejoices a pastor's heart. Ephesians 4.3 says, um, uh, it talks about the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Man, a unified flock that is dwelling together in the bonds of peace, that rejoices a pastor's heart. In Matthew 25.23, it talks about the steward that is given... Uh, um, The master goes away for a while and he he leaves the steward in charge of certain things and when he returns and twice these uh this phrase is used um, well done my good and faithful servant enter thou into the joy of the lord a pleased lord rejoices a pastor's heart to hear those words to be able to long to see the face of jesus and hear the sweet words and feel the embrace of Christ, and hear him say, well done. Can you imagine, pastors, when that moment comes? What a joy that's going to be to you. And then finally, a glorified Lord, a glorified Lord rejoices a pastor's heart, and I'm going to read to you Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Paul says, for all things are for your sake. And and the all things, again, are these horrible things that he had to go through. He's saying, for all these things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading more and more, so that more and more people may may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So as, as the pastors and really all of us perform the work that God has called us to do, And grace is abounding more and more and spreading out. It says, this all abounds to the glory of God. Therefore, Paul says, because of that, because God's being glorified, we do not lose heart. But though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us, what? An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What rejoices a pastor's heart? A healthy flock. Unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. A pleased Lord who says, can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And a glorified Lord. These are all things that a pastor can rejoice in. Okay, now. We're done with our exposition here. We're done with our, you know, just bombing through the Word and gathering data. And, 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 and I want to I just now pause for a few minutes, and I just want to reflect with you on the ramifications of what we're talking about. Um, first off, I'm going to say this, I'm going to go out on a limb, because uh, it, it, from an anecdotal point of view, I know this to be true. I know this to be true because I know many pastors, and I think some of you know many pastors as well. I think we could probably say this about our pastors. I think we could say this. I know I could say this about my father. I know this. I could say this about my two grandfathers. I know I could say this about my uncles who were pastors. I know I could say this about my cousins who were pastors. I know I could say this about friends of mine, even those who went to Bible school, who are pastors now. Guess what? Almost all of them say, "I never meant to be a pastor. That wasn't my intention. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. In fact, it's funny as I was thinking about this. You know, you know the only ones that actually knew that they were going to be pastors um, probably without exception, were their mothers. Am I right? <laughs> I'm right. Um, pastor Arnold ramona mama perez she knew she prayed she knew pastor arnold didn't know and 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 when that moment comes when it's like i'm a pastor um it it's just it's just amazing and it's funny how how god brings pastors to that place of being a pastor my dad he had. He was a chemical engineer. He wasn't planning on ever being a pastor. He didn't want to be a pastor because his dad ended up being a pastor, and he saw what a just a grind it is. You know, it was just it was a constant battle. And and dad's like, dad, it's no, not for me. And guess what? He ended up being a pastor for forty years. In fact, he was a pastor right up until the moment, almost when the Lord took him. I mean, he died with his boots on. He preached his last sermon. He barely made it off the pulpit. Two days later, he's in the hospital and almost ready to breathe his last. He, he died with his boots on. But the Lord, it's just, it's so cool how the Lord orchestrates the lives of those who he's chosen to be pastors over us and brings them to that place, you know, Quietly, surreptitiously, and all of a sudden, there you are. And and honestly, it reminds me. And I don't know. I'm a C.S. Lewis fan, okay. And I actually really love the Narnia chron- uh, chronicles of Narnia. I've read them over and over again. And and there's a, there's a question that Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, you know, asks these people who come into Narnia, who he's called out to to have certain duties. And and this is the question. He says. Are you ready to be a king or queen of Narnia? And without exception, they all go, no. I, I mean, there's no way I'm ready to be a king or queen of Narnia. And Aslan goes, good answer. That's the right answer because you are not ready, but I will equip you. I will make you ready. And then you'll know it's me. You'll know that it is I who made this possible. It is I who am giving you the strength. It is I who am leading you. That's that's how he works. Now, if you think about it, who in their right mind is going to want to make a career out of a job that has endless hours, literally 24-7, where usually half the people disagree with what you're doing or saying, And the other half agree with you. And then the next Sunday it might flip and then it goes the other way. And no matter what you're doing, you're not gonna please everybody all the time. And on top of all of that, you're barely getting enough to get by. You're barely making enough money to get by. Am I right? Who in their right mind is going to say, yes, that's the career I want? See, the wrong it's the wrong word. Being a pastor is not a career. Being a pastor is a calling. And it's a high and holy calling. It is, it is, uh, it's it's a dreadful and glorious thing all at the same time. Now, how can we encourage our pastors? I mean, honestly, Right now, we, in this day and age, in this moment in history, in this moment in time, we are living in, 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 in a situation in our churches that in here in the West, we haven't experienced for maybe 300 or more years. We are really quite literally facing things that we have never faced before. And our pastors are in the middle of a situation that nobody was trained for. And and so I'm telling you, they are on their knees. They are seeking the Lord. They are trying to hear his voice. What do we do in the middle of all this? And some pastors are doing this, and some are this, and some are this. And then everybody's like, oh, why don't we do that? Why aren't we doing that? Or what, what about that? And this and this and this. And, and, and we need to understand that our pastors are seeking the Lord and seeking His will and literally fasting and praying and diving into the Word to try to figure out how can they pastor and how can they shepherd and how can the church be the church in the conditions that we are in today. So understand that and give grace to your pastor in these circumstances. That's number one. Number two, are you praying for your pastor every day? If you're not shame on you, I, I know a lot of you are, and I, I think most of you are, but don't stop praying for your pastor. Encourage your pastors, man. Throw them a, throw them a text. Throw them a, 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 a note saying, that, was, that message blessed me. That message encouraged me. That message, you know, you felt like you kicked me in the shin. Good for you. Thank you for slapping me upside the head. Encourage your pastor. Love on your pastor. And always be aware of the heavy, heavy burden our pastors are carrying. Okay, church. So let's just uh, close in prayer right now, and uh, let's let's pray for our pastors right now, shall we? And and let's pray for pastors all around the world right now that are all going through this same kind of thing. And and then. Um, when we're done, when we close, just, uh, just remember, reach out to your pastor, encourage your pastor, love on your pastor, and, and, and hopefully now you know better what it means to be a pastor, and you can appreciate more uh, what God has called them to do and what they're going through. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our chief shepherd, and you are our example. You're the example of what a shepherd should be. You gave up your life. You became nothing. You set aside your glory. And you submitted yourself even to shame. And you quite literally gave up your life so that we could live. And Lord Jesus, you equip us. You watch over us. You guard us, you exercise authority over us, you protect us from the, from the predators that are all around us. And so we see you and we thank you and we love you and we yield to you for that. But Lord, give us eyes to understand our pastors and to, and to be diligent in holding them up and, and, and encouraging them. And Lord, I pray that our pastors would be encouraged. I pray that they would know that they're loved. I pray that they would know that, they, that, that we appreciate the burden and the sacrifice that they're making on our behalf. And Lord, if you're calling others to be pastors uh, that are hearing this message, others in our midst, Lord, and I know that you are, Lord, I pray that they will understand the gravity of what you're calling them to do and to be. And Lord, I pray that you will just continue to raise up shepherds that will minister to the flock, and equip the flock, and protect the flock, and 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 and, um, and be ready for that moment when when the flock can be presented to Jesus, and 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 really the flock then the picture becomes the wonderful bride of our risen Lord that is now pure and spotless. Lord, bless our pastors as they labor in our midst in equipping and mentoring and praying for and ministering the word to us, Lord. Bless them in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for listening. Um, Bless your pastor today. Bless our pastors. Uh, Encourage them. Don't forget to pray for them. And God bless you all. And we'll see you next week.